The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a production of Vocal and is brought to you by Pickers Vodka, Tennessee's first craft vodka. It's music to your mouth. Hey guys, we are live from a couple secret locations in Nashville. It's the paulkaharski.com podcast. I'm Madison Blevins, PK's partner in crime for the soon-to-be award-winning broadcast, if I do say so myself, here with the guy that somehow made all this happen and get it named after himself. PK, how's it going? All you got to do is uh, pay a couple hundred bucks for articles of incorporation and uh, they let you name a company after yourself. So uh, save up, kids out there. You, you can do it also. I'm well. How you doing, Madison? Thanks for uh, doing so this again. I guess yeah, last week wasn't saying? a big enough disaster for you to bail. Yeah, so you're saying that anybody can have a website named after themselves. Yes, but I don't know if they can have the uh, amazing membership that uh, that we've gotten. And I, I'm hearing you too clearly. You're not echoing. Can you like talk into a tin can or something to make it? Last week we got good reviews, so I don't want to throw people off by not having you echo. Maybe that was part of the appeal. Yeah, I do want to apologize for my audio for last weekend. I know there was a lot of lag time. You could hear me before you could really hear the audio come through. So do want to apologize for that. But I will say this, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but I followed everything that you told me to do, Paul. So I don't know how that was my fault. Well, you did. and But we were, we were both – I'll pass the buck again. We were both following – the directions of the guys at Vocal. I I thought for sure that it would benefit us to be, you know, face to face or be able to make eye contact during this. And last time we were in the same general vicinity, though we went far away from each other. This time we are probably over ten miles uh, apart from each other, and so far so good. So it just goes to show you, uh, you you would think it would be less of an issue closer, but actually it's the other way around. And you sound good, so. Uh, Let's keep it going, and hopefully nothing crops up along the way. We've probably jinxed it. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, if the audio does cut out at all or you have some issues with Echo, you guys let us know. Comment. We really liked your feedback from last week's podcast as well. But we have even more on the docket today. Mike Vrabel is in as the new head coach and told us a lot in his introductory press conference. We know a bit about when we'll see the new uniforms and – Surprise, surprise, Paul had another Twitter spat, but I bet he is happy that he's not at the Senior Bowl, and he also wants to see a contract extension for someone as he looks to spend that Amy Adams trunks money. All that, plus a little preview of the Hall of Fame selection process PK will be a part of. So without further ado, let's dive right in. The Titans have their fifth coach of the Tennessee era what are your initial impressions of Mike Vrabel? Uh, well, I thought he did quite well at the introductory press conference, though I have to say I think it's hard to do badly at your introductory press conference. You have to be uh, a really bad media personality. Uh, I mean, you get a chance to go up there, uh, thank people, and and talk to a, a a room full of largely admiring people. Maybe not the media, but his family took up a big section there. Ownership took up a big section. Um, his new boss, John Robinson, Robinson sitting beside him. Um, I thought he made a good impression. And, and on that blank slate, he draws out kind of an initial blueprint of what they're going to be. 
and uh, what he wants them to be and how he intends for his team, now the Tennessee Titans, to get to be what he wants to be. And I thought he did a pretty good job of, of drawing all of that stuff out, came across as likable and personable, and uh, I think that's important. I think it's especially important early. But it, it, off seasons in the NFL are all about hope. Uh, everybody's filled with hope. Uh, every player is getting better. Every injury is healing. Uh, every coach is coaching hard, planning hard, drawing up new stuff, awaiting players. Um, and so certainly if there's a new coach taking over a team that's coming off of a playoff season, uh, you would expect hopes to be very high. And uh, I don't think Mike Vrabel did anything to throw anybody off of that course. Well, and just less than a week ago, general manager John Robinson mentioned that he's not really going to get wrapped up in the offense or defense type of guy. He just wants a leader of men. So do you think that the Titans found that in Vrabel? It seems like, uh, you know, I think that that is a tab people would put on him right out of the gate. Um, you know, this is kind of a self-made NFL player who uh, was was mostly a special teamer for his first four years in the league in Pittsburgh. Uh, was a smart football player who kind of grew in the game, uh, had physical skills for sure, but played wily football and ended up in New England, part of three Super Bowl winning teams. Um, and, and he talked at the introductory press conference about being able to say to every guy in the auditorium on April 2nd, every guy on the roster who's looking at him at the front of the room, I've been in your seat. Now, that's not exactly true. You know, he can't be talking to the undrafted rookie because he was drafted. He can't be talking to a guy about never having won a ring because he won three of them, stuff like that. But he's saying, you know, he, he was a special teamer. He was a, a backup. He was a guy who had to fight to get his way into the league. He was a guy that had uh, great team success. He was a guy in one season that was a pro bowler and an all pro. Uh, and at the end, he was a guy in Kansas City who was trying to hang on and squeeze the last bit out of his career. He's got a lot in common with a lot of people in that room. And guys tend to respect uh, players, uh, former players, in an additional way. Say Mike Malarkey had that. Um, but he was a tight end who didn't have near the the success uh, individually or, or team-wise that Mike Vrabel had. So um, that that's going to score him some points, um, and uh, and it certainly makes him an, a more intriguing guy in some ways. Well, I know there's a lot of factors that still have to go into it, and we'll get we'll get into all that down the road. But right now, what would the descriptions of this offense and defense led by Vrabel be for you? Yeah, well, I I don't have to give them to you. He gave it to us, and I think that that was good. You know, you kind of want a one paragraph uh, summary of what he intends for the defense to be and what he intends for the offense to be. And he gave us those. Uh, you, you can boil the defensive one down to, to a sentence, really, uh, or to a catchphrase, coverage, consistency, and front multiplicity, which means you know the defensive backs aren't going to be asked to vary their approach very much. I'm sure that given certain situations against certain teams, they will they will change. Coverage consistency doesn't mean they do the same thing all the time, uh, but it makes it sound simple 
and sounds like it'll be consistent, you know, at least in uh, if, if Madison Blevins team comes to town and they do this, we'll play this kind of coverage. And if they do that, we'll play that kind of coverage and pretty simple up front guys are going to be asked to do all different kind of things. And you have under fronts and over fronts, which is uh, about the way guys align on their offensive linemen. And then, uh, you know, he's a three, four guy at heart, but you know, three fours turn into four threes and nickel in Houston. We saw a lot of five man fronts, which is a pretty clever way to make, uh, make a team offense, make the offensive lineman commit to one-on-one matchups and you know if you're if you're good up front, uh, and Houston was great up front when it was healthy with JJ Watt and Whitney Merciless and, and Jadavian Clowney. But if you're good up front and you have a guy like Jarrell Casey, you can get him into a one-on-one out of that five-on-five front, and uh, he's 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 going to win one-on-ones. He doesn't get win one-on-ones very often. So I thought that was a good uh, defensive description on offense. He talked about running the football. This was the one part where a lot of people took it as a, as a shot at Malarkey. I don't know that he was really aiming at Malarkey, but he said, we're not going to run it into eight or nine guys. We're not going to be silly. Uh, by his definition, then Mike Malarkey's offense was frequently silly. Um, but so he sounds like he's got the flexibility there. Talked about giving Marcus Mariota easy access throws, run pass options, and then said, I believe in screens, I believe in play action. Well, the Titans have done a lot of play action over the years. They have never been a particularly good screen team. It takes a lot of work. Your offensive linemen have to get out and run. Certainly Taylor Lewan's great at that. Uh, and I think we'll see a new kind of running back in this offense to go with Derrick Henry, who's able to get out and do things. If you've watched the two championship games, there were running backs catching screen passes and doing things in space. Uh, throughout both of those games by, I think, all four of those teams. Well, and he mentioned in his press conference on Monday as well that if you want to play and contribute to this 2018 team, you better be able to play more than one position unless you're the quarterback. And the quarterback, by the way, basically played some fullback. Uh, He laid that big block on Derrick Henry's big run. Um, he played some running back with the big stiff arm in the Jacksonville game of Barry Church, and he played some receiver catching his own pass that was batted back to him in uh, in in Kansas City. So he, he only wants his quarterback to play quarterback, starting quarterback. But he actually uh, Marcus Mariota's 2017 season, the end of it, kind of plugged into what he's talking about in terms of versatility. Certainly, all those guys up front. If you're an end, you're going to have to be able to play tackle and end or, or outside linebacker. If you're an outside linebacker, you're going to have to be able to you know play either side and, and pop to end. And uh, if you're a cornerback, you're going to need to play outside and nickel. And, and versatility is very much the name of the game. And I'm all for that he wants it, but you can't. Ken Wisenhunt struggled with this. He called versatility the Titans' identity, which uh, versatility is really a trait and not an identity. And that was – Part of Ken Wisenhunt's downfall was that he couldn't identify what the Titans are. I think Mike Vrabel will identify what the Titans are, gave us some hints of what they will be in, in, the, in the toughness and smarts department and in those descriptions of the offense and defense, but also, I think, uh, you know, expects his guys to be versatile without leaning on that word as somehow a definition of what they will be. Well, yeah, Vrabel mentioned that he wants – 
his relationship with John Robinson to mirror kind of what the whole organization looks like. He wants that close relationship throughout. We know that they had those ties in New England. They've had a relationship for a while. How do you think that weighed into this hire? Well, certainly the root of this hire is that Robinson liked and respected what he knew of Mike Vrabel watching him play when they were both part of the Patriots. But Vrabel offered up kind of unsolicited that, uh, you know, it wasn't like they were hanging out outside of the building um, at the team's Gillette Stadium headquarters. So um, it, it, it comes out of kind of a mutual respect. Uh, there are people in the league, you know, Peter King told us on the midday 180 that, it, that he thought that Vrabel has the potential to be the next uh, Bill Cower and the Titans would take Bill Cower in a heartbeat. So there's a connection on that level. I thought it was interesting that he talked about how much their relationship will kind of be the relationship that everybody looks to in the building. And if, if it doesn't look like they're in lockstep, it'll be hard for everybody else to be in lockstep. And interestingly, Mike Keith, uh, the voice of the Titans who works in that building, told us on the Midday 180 this week that, you know, he's seen it both ways, you know, with guys or, or talking and walking down the hallway together and with guys looking the other way, walking down the hallway past each other. Uh, and that, and that it's very obvious for, uh, for everybody who works in the building. And we'll get to this again, uh, in, in a little while, but, um, you don't want people in the building picking sides. And the longer these two are together, almost inevitably they'll come apart, but the longer they're together, the healthier it is for the franchise. And that was the case with Jeff Fisher and Floyd Reese. And then when those two had their power struggle and started to become more and more at odds, you either picked a side or you had them presuming that you were picking a side. I know to this day, Floyd Reese thinks I picked Jeff Fisher's side. Well, I don't think that I really picked a side, but I think I was trying to, uh, you know, see the tea leaves. And I knew that one guy was going to be around longer and it was more important for me to maintain the one relationship than the other. And I was just a media member. Well, I mean, the relationships start from the very top. If the top is not working, not flowing, then it's going to reflect down all the way to the players. And it's interesting to think how that works together. Do you think that Vrabel will be able to help sell more tickets to Nissan Stadium on Sunday? Well, I asked that question because um, a lot of people during this disconnect during the 2017 season, which I think the Titans have confirmed was an issue because it's part of the reason that Mike Malarkey isn't here anymore. And some of that disconnect was people saying, as long as they're running this hard, uh, hard nosed, stubborn offense, as long as they are running into eight and nine main fronts, which Mike Vrabel himself said is silly, as long as they're insistent on these condensed formations and limited three wide and reluctant to go to no huddle, I'm reluctant to buy tickets. I'm reluctant to invest in this team long term. I'm thinking about giving up my tickets. We heard it in, in all ways, shapes, and forms. So I don't really believe that a head coach is ultimately going to sell tickets, but I put a poll out early this week and it came back about 75, 25 that people would be more willing to buy tickets with this hire. And we had a conversation also on the air. I, I don't think that the female population is running out to buy tickets based on what the head coach looks like. That's a very <laughs> narrow and ridiculous thing, but we've heard from a lot of women 
about the fact that he's a good-looking guy and it makes them inclined or want to see what he's up to. So I wanted to ask you, just A, do you think he's good-looking? B, how good-looking <laughs> do you think he is? And C, are there actually women that would go to a game to watch a guy who's yards and yards away wearing a headset patrol the sideline? Wow, you are really putting me on the spot. Did not know you are going to ask that, and all of this is on the record. So I'm going to professionally say, no, I can't associate the same. Is he a good-looking guy? Yes. Is he more attractive because he is in the role of an NFL head coach? No. Now, I will say I do know that there are some females that would look at that and say, oh, that makes him more attractive. Um, But... (laughs) It's funny you ask that because I actually had a friend of mine, one of my best friends, text me. I was like, oh, the Titans hired a new coach. And I was like, yeah, you know, it should be a good hire. We'll see how it goes. She was like, wow, he's so attractive. And I was like, that's seriously the first thing you're going to say to me, knowing that I'm a huge football fan, covered the Titans this season, was at every home game. That's the first thing you're going to say is, wow, he's so attractive. So to answer your question, yeah, there there are women out there that are just looking at this hire as beneficial to the look. And if you were wondering if, if Madison, I'm going to say, and no. if you were wondering if Madison had shallow friends, we now have the answer that she has at least one shallow friend, and I will be texting no. her immediately after no, this to find out which friend because I know a lot of her friends. <laughs> Yeah, you probably know. No, that's not shallow. That's just a difference in interest. She's not really interested in NFL football. I agree. I had thought but, of it, to be honest. Chad, Chad brought it up in, uh, on the radio on Midday 180, Chad Withrow, and it sounds like he has a little bit of a, of a man crush on him, which uh, I can understand. You and I, uh, with our proximity uh, and, and you with the gender difference, probably aren't aren't going there. But it is kind of an interesting thing that, that, uh, you know, half the population, a, a percentage of half the population might do a double take upon seeing what the new head coach looks like. Uh, you know, that's not at play for me, though. You certainly want a guy who looks commanding, you know, and uh, and, you know, he's certainly a fit guy. He's not that far removed from his uh, from his own playing days. So, uh, you know, he looks the part. Now he has to, to be the part. And, and that's a big, big difference. He definitely does look the part. He brings that very no-nonsense type of vibe, and that's kind of what I saw from him in his press conference on Monday as well. He didn't bring any paper. He didn't have anything written down. He wasn't scripted at all. He just laid it out there. He answered the question, and he was ready to get to work. How is that going to work for you, though, covering him? Well, I like no-nonsense, particularly if the other guy thinks that I'm not bring in the nonsense. So, uh, I mean, there were some people that, that came, uh, that tweeted the radio show, say, and said they thought he was rude, which I thought was ridiculous. He jumped a couple questions, which to me, you know, shows that he's all business and says, uh, you know, I know what you're asking, so I'm going to go ahead and answer it. There was also a guy in there who, you know, was asking ridiculous and long-winded questions, a photographer who I don't really understand why he's uh, asking questions. Um, but he, uh, I, I thought he handled that stuff well. And I thought, uh, you know, one or two, you know, Tom, but he was asked about Tom Brady at the end. And he said, I'm not going to let that be the last question. 
which, you know, he gave a good answer about Tom Brady, but it was cool to me that he didn't want that to be uh, the, the last answer of the press conference. And then I heard him in subsequent radio interviews where uh, he took a, a question or two that were not great and didn't hesitate to make it clear that he, you know, he wasn't being mean, but he wasn't faking like they were great questions when they weren't. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. And I'll ask a dud once in a while and perfectly willing to fall on the sword and say I did. But I think uh, asking good questions is part of my MO. So hopefully that helps me score points with him as I get to know him. Well, you know, I, you know this. I don't know if all the listeners know. I've been an athlete my whole life. I played college basketball at the Division One level. And I know what it takes to make a healthy team. I know what things stay in the team. I know what things don't stay in the team. But with that being said, I found it really weird that all of the players are being really quiet about Malarkey being out and Vrabel being in. We know they really don't want to take to social media because they don't want to be faulted for that. But do you think that that is a healthy thing, that this Titans team is just saying so close-knit? I wonder if they actually had some kind of uh, conversation about it in a team meeting late or or in a text chain as things started to happen because it's I do think it's rare that all 53 guys would would take the same approach independent of one another and they're certainly talking amongst themselves at least in position groups I mean I think it'd be very predictable to to say what they would say I could be a player right now well you know really sad to see uh, Mike go we respected him a great deal he treated us great we played hard for him and and uh, and respected him and uh, you know I wish we could have played well enough for him that there was no question about his job uh, but we trust in John Robinson and Amy Adams Strunk that they know what they're doing this is well above our pay grade and uh, you know I look forward to meeting Mike Vrabel and learning what he's about and playing my tail off for him that's the cliched harmless answer to the whole thing. Um, I, I think we'll hear from a couple guys at the Pro Bowl this week, and uh, I would expect them to say something similar to that. Um, but it's probably a, a no-win situation. One guy that did say something about something, at least, was uh, Logan Ryan, who kind of paid a tribute to Dick LeBeau after learning that, that Dick LeBeau wasn't going to be back, saying what an honor it was to have played for him. And then uh, Kevin Byard retweeted that and said something to the same effect. So, uh, you know, those guys paying tribute to somebody they were really proud to play for, who's a, a big figure in NFL history. Um, they broke with their social media quietness. Listen, these guys, too. I mean, that's a long season. It went two weeks longer than they're used to going with the two playoff games. And they're tired. And a lot of them are on beaches or, or you know, playing with their kids in a way that they haven't had the time to for a long time. And, you know, they may be a lot better than I am and I, than I think that you are at putting their phone down and not looking at social media for a while. Yeah, and I think it's, like you said, a much-needed break for them. Well, you're in Nashville tonight. You're not in Mobile. You've been there before. You've covered the Senior Bowl. What's the lure for reporters at the Senior Bowl? Well, the biggest thing, I mean, it would be good to be in Mobile right now as Mike Vrabel tries to assemble a staff, though he's obviously tiptoeing around and being as quiet about it as possible. But it it amounts to a coaching convention, and I know there are Titans assistants uh, who are not being kept who are down there, 
you know, as they try to see if they can uh, find another job or spread the word. So in that regard, um, it's it's not a bad place to be. Um, Player-wise, I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, it's football and, uh, and it's prospects, and you can never get started on the draft or too early for most people. But uh, I think there's been like – 12 or 14 or 16 guys drop out of this whole deal. And they usually don't get the cream of the crop because the cream of the crop knows that, that it's getting drafted in the top 20, for example, and, and isn't going to do anything to put itself at injury risk or, or to put additional stuff on film that could only hurt their case. Um, so I, I hate it down there. I've been down there a couple times. Um, you know, I never made it part of what I pitched in terms of getting uh, my my travel with MDI Construction for PaulKuharski.com. Um, you know, I didn't know the coaching change was coming either. I'm certain I'd be getting something good down there, but it, it's uh, it's a zoo. It's not my favorite uh, city in the country, I'll admit. There is good food there in Mobile, Alabama, but the, the less time I spend in Alabama, probably the the better for everyone, don't you think? I was going to say, it's too far south for you. Yeah, also, a lot of people drive it from Nashville. I would never drive it from Nashville. That sounds like utter hell to me. That That is a far drive. Do you just get highs when you go further down south? Like, does, does that just freak you out? Well, most of the time when I'm in Alabama, I'm in a car. So at least I'm on the move. I, I, if, if somebody would have to pursue me. Um, and uh, listen, Florida, I'm a big fan of Florida. I'm a beach guy. More the Atlantic side than the Gulf side, but uh, a lot, a lot of you Southerners seem to think the Gulf is an ocean when it's the Gulf. I'm a, I like the Atlantic, the Pacific. You name the oceans, I like them. Um, bigger waves. I'm a waves guy, but uh, yeah, I can handle driving through Alabama. I just don't don't do it very often. I don't I don't like going on long drives. I don't I don't like driving to Indianapolis or Cincinnati. You would have flown to Mobile, Alabama. Mobile. You like to they say even Mobile. Have an air, airport? Yeah, they have an airport. I said Mobile. I, uh, I, they have an airport. I'm, That's a little southern. I know. I've out. flown in and out of there a couple of times. The the two senior bowls I've covered, uh, I think two, maybe three, I, I've, I've flown. And uh, I was at Jay Cutler's senior bowl, which was coached by Jeff Fisher's, uh, Jeff Fisher and his Titans staff. And you were probably in elementary school? When was it? When was it? Oh, six. Whew. That was what, 12 years ago? You're pretty young now. Do you want me to say how old I was then? Oh, no. Yeah, go on. The people will love it. I was 10. Moving on. <laughs> ten. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Well, speaking of getting pretty and fancy, you locked down Strunk with an on-the-record timetable for the unveiling of new uniforms coming the Titans' way. What all did you wa- yeah, learn I didn't from learn that? that much. I targeted her coming out of uh, the press conference because I am asked more than anything uniform questions. Uh, people know the uni- new uniforms are coming. They want to know when. Uh, they also think that I'm going to be able to go on a reconnaissance mission and uh, and tell them exactly what these uniforms look like, which I think will be maybe the biggest lockdown in team history. Uh, she said that they will have a big shindig in April to unveil them. I had been speculating it would be in March, 
because I think you'd like to get them on sale quickly. And, um, you know, if they bring in a big free agent, those guys usually stand in front of the room holding up their new jersey. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to be holding up last year's jersey. So I would imagine any big free agent ceremony will lack a jersey now. And uh, this will be done probably close to the draft. Um, and and we'll see what kind of reaction it gets. It certainly creates some anticipation. What are some other jerseys around the league with other teams that you like? I like the classic kind of traditional stuff. Uh, I like I like the Colts. Um, Cowboys? Yeah, Cowboys are all right. I hate the Cowboys, so it's hard for me to, to like their uniform. I really like San Diego. I, I just love the lightning bolt. Uh, particularly the powder powder blue version. I think like the the Saints, the Bears, you know, some real pretty straightforward stuff. I like those New England uniforms. I, I know people miss uh, Pat the Patriot or whatever his name is, the old logo, but I think those are pretty sharp and simple uniforms. The ones to hate, the ones to be scared of, are the, are the Bucks? You don't want this new team to look anything like the Bucks or the or the Jags, and those are two of the more newfangled uniforms there are in the league. And you hope it doesn't uh, doesn't echo that in any way, shape, or form. I, I'm amazed that people are as into the uniforms, Madison, as they are. But you and I were talking before we started recording. Maybe part of that's that I'm a Yankees fan. And the Yankees uh, are, are my number one team. And they don't mess around with their uniform. Like, I'm surprised that they changed the NY on their hats to, you know, the American flag or the camouflage symbol or pink or whatever the cause is. Like, to me, that is their look. And it should never change for anything. And it rarely does. Uh, you know, so gray with New York on the road, white pinstripe stripes at home. And, and not a lot of fanfare about the alterations like we're we're going to have here with that. And I also think the Titans uniforms are pretty good. They're pretty straightforward. So I think odds are you can you, you have better chance of making it worse than making it better. Well, the Yankees uniform says a lot about traditions, and I get that. I'm a fan of the Seattle Seahawks jerseys, though. I feel like it kind of weighs in the middle. It's not too crazy, but it's still fun, up to date, but holds tradition. Are you a fan of those? Some electric green going on up there. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a little hip and modern for me. Uh, Though I I think they do a good job of it, but they don't need to be head to toe neon ever. Nobody does, uh, unless it's a traffic cone. Okay, so wrap it up. What are your expectations for these jerseys then? Well, she told me. She told me. No, I, I, I would want them traditional. I don't know that that's what we're going to be. I mean, it would make more sense for them to to uh, go heavy on the light blue. I think she liked the light blue. Her father liked the light blue. Um, his son-in-law, Tommy Smith, who took over between the two of them. <laughs> wanted to kind of get at Bud and Bud's memory any way he could, and he moved them away from uh, from the light blue. Um, I think, too, I, I wouldn't expect any major alterations to the, the Thumbtack logo. Uh, she said something to me at one point when we were talking about it. They had just refurbished the locker room and the facility. That Thumbtack is all over the place in expensive fashion, uh, including on the ceiling in in kind of a big – giant light fixture kind of thing in the locker room. Uh, that logo's not disappearing. I would be 
really surprised if it went away. Well, it'll be exciting to see. Maybe we should do a poll and see what the listeners and fans want to see. Uh, I would I would be curious if there was any like universal thing that they want to see. But then I would be encouraging more uniform conversation. And w- what I was hoping when I talked to her and got the April date was that it would buy me some time during which I wouldn't be asked about the uniform. We'll see how that works. Well, like I said, it will be interesting. But for now, that's going to be a wrap for this part one of the opening podcast. We are happy to provide part one for everyone. (laughs) Like I said, the best is yet to come, but you only get it if you're a member of paulkaharski.com. It's really easy to join. Just simply go on the site, look for the membership button in the row across the top. I actually run that admin for PK. I keep him in line. So if you do become a new member, I will get you added onto the Periscope, the Facebook Lives, the Facebook group. I'll get you added right away. If you're on your phone or tablet, look for the small box with three white lines and click right there. But for now, we'll be right back with more. The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkuharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com. 